You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. This episode of This Glorious Mess is brought to you by the new Honda CRV, where the joy is in the detail. Hello, hello, and welcome to This Glorious Mess, big kids. I'm Holly Wainwright. I have two big kids who are 8 and 11 and I work at Mamma Mia. Did so, Holly, I've got three kids. My name's Andrew Daddo and mine are full grown, right? Full size now. So do you look at your kids? How often do you look at your kids and think, holy crap, you guys are growing up so quickly? And like if you were to go away for two nights, do you come home and nearly... Oh my God, yes. yes. Especially lately. Like I feel like every time I look at Matilda, who's my daughter, she is taller, more grown up. Every time I look at her and I'm like, how did that happen? Yeah. And it's, I'm really boring about it. I post pictures in the family WhatsApp group to my people back in England and I'm like, look at them. Who are they? Where are they from? Yeah. They're giant. So, yeah. so to that end, this is Mamma Mia's podcast for parents who look at their kids and go, how the hell did that happen? Exactly. And I think that covers the whole thing of how did that happen, their behaviour? How did that happen? Did they get so big? How did that happen? Did they get so beautiful? How did they get so frustrating? How did they get so fantastic? It's so true. Yeah, because we literally go through the whole... Gamut. I think that's what I like about parenting is that you get to go through the whole shebang. You do. I want to tell you that we do have a show for people who have little kids who aren't yet looking at them and going, how did that happen? Although I think you do it from the minute they're tiny babies and then they sit up and then... How did that happen? Exactly. Dude, don't... (laughs) Stop eating the power cord. <laughs> that is this glorious mess. Little Kids, it's hosted by Lee Campbell and Tegan Natoli, and it's out every Monday. But on our show today. So today we're joined by the author's parents. It's a husband and wife team uh, who have written a book called Raising Girls Who Like Themselves in a World That Tells Them They're Flawed. So, so it's a really interesting, well, I mean, we haven't had the discussion yet, but my money's on this will be a really interesting discussion because it's sort of looking at i mean far out of course we want to raise kids who like themselves it begs the question do we like do we like ourselves oh my goodness this is deep it's difficult enough for us to wake up every morning look at yourself and go you're all right do you know what i mean (laughs) i know but there's a lot of pressure on young girls so with the whole matrix of being a teenager or a young actually i think the book is more specifically say for between five and tween and that's sort of where it's targeted because that's how old their girls are it's that gamut but it's raising you know setting them up for what's coming next so it's look i'm really looking forward to it casey edwards and dr christopher scanlon it's a big book it's a gutsy book um so it should be a great discussion it's a perfect time to have this conversation because it's international women's day on monday and we are talking about young girls but first We're also talking about young girls here too, actually. We have a parenting dilemma. Parenting mentors. Do we get a cape? (laughs) Now, Andrew and I like to think of ourselves as parenting mentors, but as we always say, not experts. Not experts. Just a lot of experience. Not on this one. Not experts on this one. No. It's a hard one for dads. Ah, an anonymous listener emailed us this and they said, it's a crop top 
crisis. My six-year-old daughter has just started hip-hop. She asked for some lycra shorts and a crop top to wear for class, so we got her a set from Bonds, and she loves it. But now she wants to wear it doing other things, shopping, music lessons, etc. I feel uncomfortable about this, but I'm not sure why. Maybe because there's an expectation from society that kids shouldn't show lots of skin in public. You don't see boys going around shirtless. I wouldn't feel comfortable walking around if I was in just tights and a crop top. I'm not sure why. And where does feminism come into play here? Ugh, so tricky. Is there a right answer? Would love your wisdom. Would lo- Holly would love your wisdom. Because <laughs> you know I'm going to bring the feminism, don't you? Well, <laughs> uh, it's a six-year-old. I know. So it's a trick. It sounds like, well, I'd love your wisdom. I, 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 would, I actually would love your wisdom. Think, anonymous listener, that you have to swallow your discomfort about this because we shouldn't. And I know this is a feministy thing, and sh- and I shouldn't say shouldn't, but we shouldn't be making six-year-old girls feel like there's something wrong or shameful about their bodies, and that they should cover them up, right? I She's, disagree the- with the point that you don't see boys walking around shirtless. I see little boys walking around shirtless all the time, like at the beach and stuff, for sure. But still, I do, and I think if you're uncomfortable about a little girl wearing a crop top and shorts out in public, and you tell her that, then that's going to make her feel super self-conscious and it's going to stick with her. So I read this. How did you read it? No, I read her discomfort is she's not wearing enough. It's not the shape of her body or the look of her body. It's the fact that she's not covering her body up because she's looking like an older, you know, sexier. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that I don't think we should be making girls feel self-conscious about their bodies when they're six. Yeah. I think you just get around it is what you're saying. I mean, I think it's really tricky because I've got lots of little kids around me in this situation too and sometimes you can't help it but look at them and go, oh, dolls, put a shirt on. Yeah. But that's our own internalised stuff, right? Little girls are not, you know, she's just getting around in the clothes she likes. Yeah, she's saying maybe there's an expectation from society that children shouldn't show lots of skin in public. I don't know that that's See, true. Little kids, I think there's an expectation from society that like teenage girls shouldn't and stuff. I think, I don't know. I, think I just right. think we but, should try so, be very careful at the messages we send yeah. little girls. So I think, I, I, I suspect the question is that she's dressing like a teenager before she should be dressing like a teen. That's my assessment of what she's saying. So she shouldn't be dressing like that because she's dressing like a, an older girl. Yeah. That's the problem. I, I mean, what I suspect. Do you think? No, What's I think your it's, advice? No, it's six, she's six years old. It's fine. I mean, you know, if you have a three-year-old, remember the old, far out the olden days. I don't, I didn't mean that, but you know, kids would be nude at the beach, like nude at the beach, having a great time. Two-year-olds, and and it's no one ever now. So it's sort of rare you see, you know, a mum taking a putting their speedos on, from, swapping from underpants to speedos, and not fully covered. So we've become really quite. It seems sort of weird really conservative in that sense and then they hit sort of 15 and it's full g-strings and walking down the corso and see i look at that and think bathers for the beach not off the beach and i'm not even sure that's the right thing to be thinking i'd love your opinion on that you know should it be really hard yeah should it be bathers wherever you want I don't know. It's really hard because I think what we've learned a lot about what we do, and we, you know, we're going to be talking about this in a moment, and we've talked about it a lot lately with Madonna King and teenagers and all those things. Little girls are getting hung up about their body younger and younger and younger, 
And I don't think it's helpful for adults to project their own feelings and worries and insecurities about it onto their kids, but it's very hard not to do. I have a little kid in my circle, she's one of my friend's kids, who loves dancing, just like this kid. She's older than six, she's like, well, not that much, she's eight. She gets around in a crop top and shorts and a full face of makeup, right? She just loves it. My daughter's 11, she would never wear makeup because she doesn't love it, but... Do what I, about that? So, so what, I look at my friend and I'm like, mate, that's a lot of makeup for an eight-year-old. And then I'm like, oh, for God's sake, she's enjoying it, whatever, like, never mind. What about the dancing that they're doing, though? The gyrating? Well, the <laughs> No, no, seriously. Like, well, my, both my girls were dancers. They're like, you just go, you're kidding. I wish that there was more dancing for girls that wasn't like that. And it's interesting because at my kids' school, and I'm going to write an angry letter and you're going to laugh at me about this, but I genuinely am going to write an angry letter. At my kids' school, Matilda's got choice to do dance this year as one of her PE subjects or whatever you call that. And the boys are allowed to do hip-hop and the girls aren't. They have to do jazz, ballet, jazz. And I'm like, bullshit. Like, Matilda should be doing hip-hop and she'd be doing it like the boys. She doesn't have to wiggle her bum like a girl. Like, anyway, don't get me started. However... I think, anonymous listener, that I entirely understand your discomfort, but in an ideal world, you try and push through it. That's what I think. Yeah, I think six. She's six. She's a kid. Let her be a kid. Tell us what you think. We want to hear. You can jump in the Mummy Parents Facebook group, or even better, just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to tgm at mamamia.com.au. What do you think? Do you think we should be worried about what six-year-olds get around in or not? We'll be back in a moment, but first, some words from the sponsors of today's show. I have to tell you about the Honda CRV, the new one, because I got a chance to drive it and to drive my family around in it, and it is ace. The thing that is so good about it is it's a great sized family car, but it has all these little details that just make driving it and driving your family around in it actually a pleasure, a delight rather than a chore. Things like they have a lane keeping assist system that takes the stress out of long drives if you're planning on going somewhere for the school holidays by subtly reinforcing your steering to help you keep centred, which is really handy if you're being distracted by the back seat. It even has this incredible safety technology, which they call Honda Sensing, which obviously is so important to parents, which actually helps mitigate the severity of an unavoidable frontal collision by automatically applying strong brake pressure when needed. There are also lots of other thoughtful features like ISOFIX that makes it really simple to attach child safety seats. I've told you all before about the phone charger panel in the front where you just put your phone down and it charges. I may never get over that. It has cruise control. It has high beam support. It has all the helpful details you need. So check out the new CRV at your local Honda dealer. next conversation Andrew has had to step out so I'm going to be taking the reins and I'm very excited. I'm going to be talking to Casey Edwards and Dr Christopher Scanlon. They are researchers, writers and parents to daughters and together they've written a new book called Raising Girls Who Like Themselves. After the birth of their first daughter in 2009 they set out to understand how they could be the best parents to girls and what they found was pretty alarming 
that far too many girls don't like themselves. So although, as they say in their book, our girls have more opportunities than their mothers and aunties, when it comes to education, they're smashing it in the classroom, outperforming boys at high school and university, but far too many of our girls don't like themselves. Despite their numerous achievements and their competence, many struggle with confidence, resilience, emotional well-being and self-worth. So to give us some insight into this, and I will obviously be taking notes throughout, here are Casey and Christopher. Hello. Hi, Holly. Thanks for having us on. Hi, Holly. Thank you. I wanted to start somewhere that really resonated with me about girls versus boys. Now, I want to set out by saying, like, there are broad stereotypes about girls and boys, and, you know, there's a lot of grey area in between how everybody takes things. But I really, this point that is made about the fact that how many times a month will your child come to you for feedback and say, do you like this? Do you like that? Do you like my outfit? Do you like my drawing? And all these things. And we need to start asking girls more, well, what do you think? So that they know that their opinion matters. That's right. So what we know is that when girls reach the age of 10 and 11, many of them are absolutely crushed by the criticism and the teasing and the random comments of their friends on social media, of, of adults as well. They're so super sensitive to what other people think of them. Mm. And what we realised was that in many ways we are actually preparing these girls to be like that when they're 10 and 11. So there's all these little micro moments that happen in the first 10 years of their life where we are actually teaching girls that it really matters what other people think of them. And one of the ways is what you said there. Every time a girl comes to us and asks us for our opinion about their somersault or their drawing or their dress and we give it freely, then we're saying to them that our opinion matters more. They take our opinion to work out whether or not they're okay. So a li just a little tweak that we can do as parents is turn it around and say, well, it's your drawing, it's your work, your opinion matters most about your work, what do you think? That is so and good. If they, <laughs> and if they don't like it, then you can talk to them about what they'd like to do different next time. But if they do, you can reinforce the message that they get to decide if they're okay. So when you set out to write this book, so as I was saying in my intro, you had a daughter in 2009 and you set out to write this book and research it. That point about girls being more invested and, seek, and indexing their self-worth about other people's opinions, what have you found out about why that might be? I think it's because we train girls to do this. You know, it's so much part of the way in which we raise girls that we kind of engage them in this way. And I don't know whether we do do it. Um, I don't know whether little boys actually do do it as much. Um, certainly, um, and you know, I'm a father of daughters, so I don't really know. Uh, and I don't have a lot, a lot of to go on here. But from what I've observed, little boys are quite happy just going on and doing things and getting on with it. They don't look for this kind of reassurance. So I think we actually, uh, we don't really make a conscious decision to train our girls in this way, but I think we just do it because that's the way in which we engage with little girls. Another thing that's different 
in the way that we interact with girls and boys that, that adds to this problem is the way that we are constantly critiquing girls' appearance. So every time that we say to a little girl that you can't wear that dress or you can't wear your hair like that or you can't That's smear so mummy's lipstick on your eyebrows or whatever, we are effectively saying to them, what will other people think? And that's the message that they're learning. And the same is true with the standard, the different standards that we have in terms of kids giving affection. You know, if children want to kiss their grandparents and their aunt and uncle, then that is wonderful and we encourage it. But if they don't, often little girls, more so than little boys, feel that they have to. They have to kiss grandma, they have to kiss grandpa and thank uncle for the present with a cuddle or whatever. And again, what we're saying to girls is what other people think, grandma's comfort, uncle's happiness is more important than yours. Mm. That's so interesting. So listen, the title of your book about raising girls who like themselves is a bit provocative, I think, in a, in a good way, because I don't know very many grown women who like themselves that much, but you wonder about that socialization. So what made you focus on that area of research? Like we worry so much about adolescent girls at the minute. We know and we read all the time about anxiety and body image and self-harm and eating disorders, and it feels overwhelming. Did you decide as researchers that this self-love or even self-like is the key, is the important piece? Yeah, there's two things here. The first one is my absolutely deep personal motivation is for writing this book, is that I want my girls to grow up liking themselves more yeah. than I when I was growing up. Now, there is no doubt that the world is far more challenging for girls in many ways than that than it was when we were growing up. Do you but think that's true? Do you think that's a definite sort of fact? Yeah, certainly I do. With the pressures of social media, with overscheduling, with the constant measuring that we have on kids and the high standards that we never had. But the thing is, our generation don't like themselves either. Mm. You know, so what we realized was that if we wanted different outcomes for our girls, then we needed to parent differently from the way that we were parented. And that was our quest to find out how we could do that so that our girls can actually grow up liking themselves. We entered into, um, you know, parenting with, with, I think, a different kind of, you know, a goal as well for our kids. We kind of, you know, bought into, oh, we just want our girls to be happy. And I think there's a number of things wrong with that. You know, it kind of is linked to the self-esteem movement where we're just going to tell kids that they're awesome all the time. Yeah. What we're seeing is that doesn't really work. And our, often our intention to make get our girls to be happy or our kids to be happy is linked into things like, oh, we're going to kind of create all these opportunities for you. We're going to send you off to this class and this class and we're going to make give you all the opportunities we didn't have. And what we're is that girls are, are often completely overwhelmed by this and burnt out. You know, they're just dog tired. They just want to have uh, some downtime to get to know who they are rather than being, you know, scheduled to the hilt and being uh, assessed on a whole lot of external criteria. That's such a good point too because I feel like a lot of our kids feel like they're constantly in competition all the time, which is a lot. We worry about, you know, girls, again, when they get to the ages of 10 and 11, you know, friendship is such a problem and they're bitchy and they have, you know, they're competing with each other. And it's like we have created this environment where everything is measured. They're constantly ranked against each other. And so we wonder why they see their friends and their allies as competitors and foes. Mm -hmm. And 
we need to back off. You know, I'll just give you an example, you know, which we, I did myself, you know, until we, we got deep into this research, you know, my first daughter would come and say, oh, I got seven on my spelling test. And I'd say, that's great, darling. What did so-and-so get? Yes. And I really had to catch myself and thought, wow, like what the message that I'm giving to her is that she's only good if she's better than someone else. And how can she possibly be friends with these people if she thinks her self-worth and my approval of her is linked to her beating them? I love that. Also, just we need to back off should just be one of the parenting mantras for 2021, I think. Can I ask, when you were researching this, what was one of the most surprising things you found or rather one of the things that people might be most surprised to hear about girls of around this age? Um, Look, the thing that really was most shocking to me was the realisation that the advice that parents are getting to build their daughter's body confidence very often is wrong and that not only does it not solve the problem it, it's actually part of the problem what do you what, what advice do you mean so we are often told that the way we build up a girl's body confidence is to tell her over and over again that she's beautiful mm. and then suddenly one day she'll believe it now first of all holly that didn't work for our generation <laughs> no. you know, we have been told a million times that we should love the skin we're in and our generation's body image is terrible and the reason this is also not working for our little girls is if we constantly focus on our girl's appearance and on their beauty, they will naturally assume that it is the most important thing about them. And then at the same time, they're growing up in a world where no one is ever beautiful enough. Like our standards of beauty are constantly changing and out of reach. So we are setting them up to fail at the thing that we have told them is the most important thing about them. So what we realised was the key to body confidence is not to tell your daughter that she's beautiful. It's not even to have a beautiful daughter. It is to reduce the importance of beauty in her life. And what, what we mean by that is, you know, you could take two girls and they can look very similar. One of them can be consumed by body insecurity loathing wanting to change herself the other one who can look very similar to her she can just be getting on with her life because sure she might wish she had longer legs but there's way more important things going on in her life than that and that's the goal that we need to get to with our girls to for them to not let their body insecurity define them and ruin their day that is brilliant. I've got one thing to ask you before we go. You talk in the book about stone parenting and seed parenting. Can you explain a little bit to me about what that means? Well, stone parenting is the idea that you have a preconceived idea of what your child is going to be, what your daughter is going to be. And it's like she's a block of marble and you're going to chip away. You're going to enroll her in this class. You're going to sign her up for that and you're going to chip away and lo and behold at some point this perfect child will uh will appear where and that's that's something we really started down on that path and when we were kind of you know thinking yes we've got to open up all these opportunities to our to our girls and we found that um it didn't really work that we were stressed out she was stressed out and um it just didn't make for a happy home life and so the difference, the, so we took a different path, and that's seed parenting. And seed parenting is really about accepting the daughter that you have rather than having a preconceived idea of who she is or who she should be. And it's about providing a structure, providing some kind of frame, boundaries, all the rest of it, but allowing her to grow in her own time. 
And I should say that both stone parenting and seed parenting comes from a place of love. That yeah. they're not kind of saying that one that you know uh, stone parenting is bad and evil. It actually comes from a place of love. But I don't know whether it's sustainable, and I don't know whether it's doing the right thing by our daughters and getting the best results. Because often we come in with an idea of what our daughters should be, and then try and get them to live up to that standard. And we've had we've seen stories in the research of you know parents fe feeling um, you know having a point of grieving almost where they didn't get the child that they expected because maybe they were highly academic and maybe their kid's really really sporty and doesn't have much interest in the academic side or vice versa. And so it's really about accepting the child that you have in front of you and allowing them to bloom in their own way. Yeah, that's beautiful. Can I ask before we go, since you took this switch yourselves, you were saying that you were kind of the overscheduled frantic parents and now you've you've stepped back, you've backed off, taken your own advice. Is your home life vastly different? Yes, it is calmer and it's also a lot more fun because you know, the thing is what Chris was talking about, the stone and seed parenting, like every child and every person just wants to be seen and loved for who they are. And we find that when we allow our kids to actually be who they are and we help them be the best version of themselves, then we have so much less conflict in our family than when we did when we had were picking up our chisels instead of our watering can. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Raising Girls Who Like Themselves by Casey Edwards and Dr. Christopher Scanlon is out now and you can find it at all good bookshops. And of course, we'll put a link to buying it in our show notes. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Casey and Christopher. Thank you for having us on, Holly. Thanks, Holly. It's been really good. Thank you. Nailed it. You failed it. We are doing my favourite part of the show now. We are doing Nailed and Failed. Holly, what did you get right no, or wrong this you, week? No, I went first last time. It's your turn to go first. Well, I nailed taking my son to stalk a movie star last weekend, <laughs> but I failed to find him. Oh, so, <laughs> well, hang on. <laughs> we've been watching the Avengers movies with Billy. He's quite into them, even though they're violent and disturbing and very complicated. I never understand what's going on, but anyway. Yeah, who's that? I know exactly. Who's that? And why is this time, like, have we gone back in time now? And why is that? Anyway, Thor, you might have heard. Thor is filming in Sydney at the moment where we live. We live in Sydney. It's filming in Centennial Park in Sydney. Everybody. Is it? Yeah. Uh, and at Fox Studios, which is next door to Centennial Park. And Billy heard this. He actually saw it in a newspaper in a cafe, old-fashioned way. He read the headline, Thor filming in Centennial Park. He's like, Mummy, can we go and meet Thor? I'm like, sure. I'd really like to meet Thor. That Chris Hemsworth, he's a really nice chap. <laughs> I would love to meet him. He is massive. So we went to Centennial Park and we rode around looking for Thor and we didn't find him, but it was a fun day. Billy loved it. Now he's obsessed with trying to spot Thor everywhere we go in Sydney. Did you the see the where they were filming? Yeah, they've like sectioned off a big set bit of the park Amazing. and there's like a big pile of stuff there. And are you shocked by how many people are involved Mate, to make a film? It's crazy town. It's also COVID times and you're like, what? But also good for the economy, etc. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we're now on constant high Thor alert in our family in case we bump into him around the place and I'll be like, hi, as if I know him and he'll be like, get away from me, you crazy woman. <laughs> All right, Hole. So uh, I've dragged my mother into my own uh, deep sadness web of uh, I made her her own putter. So the golf, right? 
So, like, I mean, I'm quite happy I know being you're always a loser. Making little golf clubs. Yeah, no, but I've made her a wooden putter, oh. right, and sent her away with it. So when she was here, I made her the putter. So it's made of decking timber. It's called the deck because it's made of decking timber. I sent it back to Melbourne to play with the deck. And it was a disaster. Oh, right! it doesn't so work. It should work. What I had to do is melt sinkers, drill holes in it, melt sinkers into the wood to make it heavy enough so it felt good. She's mid, you know, round and the melted sinkers, which is just great fun to do, fell out. Two of them fell out from the putter. So she's leaving lead bullets oh my God. On, the, on the green. And, and everyone's like, nice. What, nice. nice. And what um, are you doing? Nice putter. And she's, gone, and she's like, my son made it. Yeah, and she said, I promised that I would. Anyway, like it's great for me to make dumb stuff for me because I just find it terribly entertaining. It's not always great to share them on. No. Like mum's a beautiful artist, you know, like you've seen her fish on Instagram. She's – and I tried to res- – no. No. Just not everything's for everyone. That's right. Don't make your rubbish things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get upset <laughs> when they get discarded. Maybe that's the main thing. You can send us your parenting mentors or your nailed and failed by recording a voice memo and emailing it to tgm at mamamia.com.au. We love to hear from you. Also, if you love listening to this glorious mess, you might enjoy some of our other podcasts like What I Eat When. Take a listen to our recent episode of when the marvellous Sylvia Coloca speaks to prominent Australians about the food that tells a story. My mum and dad didn't entertain that much because every time they did, it was an ordeal for us kids. It was literally just days and days of preparation and everything from the curtains to the windows had to be washed and scrubbed. And what at the time seemed like an unnecessary chore, now I know was a language of love as yeah. much as the food that mom would then prepare and she would slave and slave for days in the kitchen. I remember she wouldn't really eat much of it and I used to think, but why wouldn't she want to eat it? But it's probably more because it is an act of love. It comes out of generosity and wanting to gift other people. Well, that's probably because she was slaving in the kitchen the whole day. And that's <laughs> probably true. <laughs> By the time everybody was sitting down, she probably just wanted to have a cigarette, yeah, right. <laughs> a shot of tequila. <laughs> This Glorious Mess is brought to you by Mamma Mia. This episode is produced by Michaela Floriano. Have an amazing week and we'll see you next time. Please do. Thanks, Michaela. This episode of This Glorious Mess was brought to you by the new Honda CRV, where the joy is in the detail. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.